0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on?
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620.
1: Move for a present. Get in the Race. Will he run? And now,
0: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric Bilstead. Before you leave, I have a simple and straightforward question. Okay, do you know what pass interference is? <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, me, me neither. I mean, look, I, I don't want to be amazing. whining about the Packers game yesterday because if you get first and goal twice, you know, you, you and you don't, you come away with no scores, you deserve to lose. So, I mean, sure. I, this this isn't a whiny thing like that, but. I, I thought they changed the rules and had replay, so you could when there's obvious errors. That, I, I'm watching last night. I mean, if that wasn't pass interference, I, I, right, I don't you, 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 you got one hand under. You, you got one hand under the guy's mm-hmm. chin, pushing up before the ball gets there. You're not playing the ball. I, I just have no clue. Doesn't it seem like the Packers always are the victim of these crazy new rules and things that are happening with the NFL? But like like last Seattle, year, like last year with Clay Matthews last year, right? With all those different calls and yeah, stuff. And again, I just, I mean, I just don't know. I, and again, I, I'm. This isn't a, gee, that, that cost them the game. Didn't help them. But, you know, I mean, they had plenty of opportunities to win the game. And, and, and so that, that's not it. But it's still, I mean, it's like, okay, you would think that that's one of the plays that you put on the film to say this is pass interference and how the NFL is just a joke. That's just kind of the bottom <laughs> line. It, it, it's, it's a joke. Period. Are you with me on this one, Gru? Was that pass interference?
2: Uh yeah, the first one that he challenged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, yes. I mean it's not even close. I mean I I, I mean I it just everybody thought it was I listened to all the commentators, of course this is pass interference and then the NFL doesn't make that call. Oh well. Okay. So but I want to start off the program. We have a very eclectic show, by the way. If you're tuning in and you want to hear three hours about you know, Donald Trump and impeachment, and eh, it's not going to happen. We are going to be talking about it during the one o'clock hour. I've got the definitive answer to impeachment, so stay tuned for that. But I want to start off the program by doing something that I have never done. I have been doing a radio show in this market full or part-time for more than 24 years. I've been doing a radio show full-time on WTMJ for almost 21 years. I have never, ever done what I am about to do, and I dare say that I will probably never do it again. Yet, here's how we start off the Friday edition of the program.
2: Baseball season's underway. Break it again.
1: Cubs go I never thought those words would be coming out of my mouth and I never thought that tune by the late great Steve Goodman would be on my radio program but but go cubs go no question about it the Brewers by winning 18 out of their last 20 games. And keep in mind, with the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravie always says, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And the Brewers, unquestionably, just hot as a pistol. They are now one game behind St. Louis with three games left. The Chicago Cubs go to St. Louis. Now, the Cubs are a hot mess. They've lost nine games in a row They go on the road to St. Louis, and the Cubs manager has already said that he's pretty much going to play the scrubs. But okay, it's not like the A team is doing very well. Uh, The Brewers, again, one game behind, three games left. If the Brewers pick up that one game, um, for example, let's say they go three and zero, and the Cubs go, and the Cardinals go two and one. Or, you know, um, maybe they go two and one and the Cubs, the Cardinals go one and two. If the season ends up tied, there is just like there was last year when the Brewers went to Wrigley Field and beat the Chicago Cubs to win the division. There will be a game 163 in St. Louis on Monday. Now, I'd like to see the Cubs take two out of three from the Cardinals and the Brewers sweep and then you don't need that game 163. But, uh, I don't know. We're, we're, we are now Cubs fans because we want to see the Cubs beat the Cardinals. Well, we'd like to see him beat them all three games because you just you want to, if you possibly can, avoid having a one-game wild-card playoff winner-take-all. Want to avoid that at all costs. And secondly, if you win the division, you end up playing Atlanta instead of having to play Los Angeles in that first round, the uh, division series, and that's a much better bet. So. We are all Cub fans for at least the weekend. Hopefully they can win one or two or three. Not making any predictions, but you wouldn't think think the Chicago Cubs, with a payroll of over $250 million, could finish the year by losing 12 in a row. But, you know, stranger things have happened. So go, Cubs, go. All right, I want to start off, and I understand there's all sorts of significant things going on in the world, but I want to start off with something that I, I was involved with last night, And and here's the bottom line of this. I love it when a plan comes together. And I want your input. I'll tell you about it in just a second. I love it when a plan comes together.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. I love it when a plan comes together. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, have you ever had a surprise like birthday party thrown for you? Uh, it's funny you ask that. No, uh, no, I haven't. You haven't. Okay, why um, would it be funny Taylor that I wanted to do that? it
2: for my 30th, uh, last week. Right. And she knew that if it were to happen, the anxiety that I would have, uh, of, like, figuring out where people are staying that night or like what we're eating what we're doing the next day would just kill me and she just didn't plan it
1: so, so she did not plan the surprise nope. birthday party she wanted to but okay well yeah. see i it is for all those various reasons it is very very difficult to throw a surprise birthday party i have never had one thrown for me i'm not encouraging people to do it but i've never had one thrown for me you know and sometimes i've had work okay, we're going out for a birthday dinner and you show up and there's a couple other people that need to know were invited i've got that but i've never had a full-blown 50 to 100 people surprise party nor have I ever thrown that for like one of my significant others. My late wife would not have been happy with that at all for a lot of reasons. And um, maybe maybe that's something for an appropriate birthday for Fran. Maybe, but I but it would be very difficult to put together. But I, it's very difficult to make this work because you know people find out about it or whatever. Okay. I was at a surprise birthday party last night that worked. It was the plan that came together. And and, and it, was just, it was just this amazing sort of thing. I have some very dear friends who live in River Hills, Mike and Kathy. And um, they have a there, – there's a woman named Wendy. And Wendy – this week was Wendy – it was a zero-year birthday. I am a gentleman, so I will not say which – you know, what digit was before that zero. But it was a very significant thing. Wendy works with special education kids and uh, – kind of in her spare time, what she does is she she does catering for parties. Um, it's, it's for a limited number of people, but she prepares party thing, things. And so for her birthday, her husband came up with this idea of throwing a surprise party. So here here's what they did. He went to my friends, Mike and Kathy, and he said, OK, tell Wendy that you you're going to have a party at your house and will you do this and tell her that she needs to like prepare food for 50 or 60 people. So she'll think she's working for you. You know, she does this, you know, you're, you're having a party. But instead, she's preparing food for her own surprise party. So yesterday, she's like cooking all day, you know, and making stuff that she likes, thinking it's for this party that my friends Mike and Kathy are having at their house. They live at this big house in River Hills. It's a wonderful place. And so she's, she's preparing this. Meanwhile, Wendy's husband has arranged that this is going to be a surprise for Wendy. People coming in from all over the country. There was a gal that was one of her childhood friends from Seattle. There were people there for the East Coast. You know, we got invited as well. So what happened is at six o'clock, we all gather, you know, in, in one part of like the, the side yard. So like Wendy is, is in the kitchen cooking and preparing all these things, think, thinking that there's going to be this, this party that she's, again, doing the catering work for. And then at six o'clock, we all walk around. We come up to the patio. And the kitchen kind of knocks off the patio. And one of the gals, start. everybody starts singing happy birthday to Wendy. And she comes out and realizes completely. Complete and total surprise. I mean, and it was just, it was absolutely perfectly executed. You know, she starts crying, she breaks out, she sees all, then it's like, oh my gosh, there's people I haven't seen in 10 or 15 years. It was absolutely perfectly executed. Executed Because I remember I had questions, because when I got the invitation, it said a surprise party, but it said catered by Wendy. And I was like, okay well, how is she going to cater her own surprise party? Well, she thought she was catering a party for other people. It was just it was a wonderful evening and it was just a perfectly executed surprise. And I thought, man, this is how you do it. I don't know that I'm creative enough to pull this off without being uh, other people being able to find out. And I thought we'd have a little fun to start off the Friday program. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit that there was a lot of planning that obviously went into this. By Wendy's husband and by, by a lot of people that went on to keep this as a secret. But once, once it all played out, it was really, really cool. So my question to you is, all right, have you been, have you received a surprise party that really worked? Have you been able to execute a surprise party that really worked? Cause I have to tell you, I think in all my years, this might have been the first one that I was at. Where it really worked exactly like it was intended. Now, part of the thing that made it work too is that Wendy's actual birthday was Monday. So, I mean, this last night is Thursday. So it's like you're not thinking that this is going to be your birthday party, right? And you're, you're just thinking, oh, this is this is it. And of course, um, you know, she. Now, I mean, the downside is, but I don't think she minded. You know, she she had to she had to cook for everybody, but it all worked out. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It was an amazing thing last night. All right, have you been able to figure out how? to make something like that work either you know were you surprised or were you able to pull off the surprise we discuss in just a moment grew is lining up the calls this is Jeff Wagner
0: back to take your
1: calls here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner 414-799-1620 let's start with Jeff and Racine Jeff good afternoon hey how you doing good have you ever okay you have you ever had a surprise party
4: well what well when I turned 50 my sister-in-law Uh, I got a twin brother, says, I'm throwing a surprise birthday party for your brother. And I said, and she wanted with me, too. And I said, but it was for him. And I said, well, I'm going to be out of town. And I crashed his party. Right. But fast forward to 60. I mean, I've never had anything like that. And my birthday is in August. And uh, anyway, it was October. I had had knee surgery. And a friend of mine goes, Jeff, you want to ride with me? I'm going up to close my camper down. But let's stop at his restaurant first to eat. Well, I walk in there, and there's like sixty people in there, and they got, <laughs> and I sat, and they're like, they're all hollering, "Happy birthday!" I'm like, what the hell?
1: <laughs> okay, because your birthday was in August, and this is in October, so you weren't even thinking about that.
4: Not at all, and I mean, I'm mean, i I'm glad it happened, because I never was one to have a, want one of those, but I did see a lot of people. I, there's 50, 60 people, and probably 20 of them I hadn't seen in quite a long time.
1: Isn't that cool? No, thanks, Nicole. See, that's the, and, and again, you always talk about that, but it's like how you can execute it to make it a complete and total surprise. And there's no question, this the thing I was at last night, complete and total surprise. Jason in Hartford. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello.
2: Hello. Um, I was in the Navy and my mom or my dad was celebrating his 50th birthday party. My mom was having a surprise party for him and she told me about it. I told her I couldn't get off because I was on duty that weekend. Um, but right after I got off the phone with her, I filled out my leave and I came home for that weekend. I had a friend of mine pick me up at the airport. I spent the night at a hotel. The following day, when everybody else was setting up for the surprise, right. I walked in. I surprised everybody because nobody knew I was coming.
0: Okay. And
2: then my brother pulled me out of the room before my dad got there, and I waited out in the hall. And ev- My dad walked in. They yelled surprise, and he <laughs> was definitely surprised at that one. Then my brother uh, pulled or brought him out into the hallway and said, I've got another surprise for you, and I'm out there. I surprise my dad, and I walk in the room, and my mom is surprised, and she swears at me.
1: Oh. (laughs) Okay, you were in the service, I assume, right? Yes, I was in the Navy. Okay, and where were you stationed? San Diego. Oh, that's cool. So they had no idea you were getting back. No. No. And and I'm sure, and thanks, I'm sure, see, that's what's so cool about this. It's going to be something that everybody is going to remember for a long time. Deb in West Allis. Hi, Deb. You're on WTMJ.
5: Hi. I threw a surprise 30th birthday party for my daughter. She lives in Chicago and she has lots of friends and she races bicycles. I handed out flyers, invitations at, their, at several of her races. We had it at upstairs of a bar. She was totally surprised. She had no, and I don't know how we kept it a secret with that many people knowing about it.
1: Well, yeah, that's it. But, but every, and, and so did, did she have the time of her life? Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's tough to make it. Uh, it's tough to make it work, and it's tough to keep this, you know, a, a secret. And you gotta, you, you gotta really come up with some sort of plan to do it. But I mean, I'm telling you, I saw this executed perfectly last night. Patty and Oak Creek. Patty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hey, hey, Jeff. This is great. First, um, you know, my mother has passed on, but when she was fifty, she'd be eighty right now. Um, we had a party in the backyard in West Dallas, and it was you know, friends and family and what have you. And it was a surprise for her, you know, the party. And then what she told me ahead of time is she's like, honey, d- don't do anything crazy. Well, sure. that's, you, you never say that to me. So anyway, she's, she's sitting and she's opening gifts and everything, and all of a sudden this guy walks up. That's when the boom boxes, you know, he had boom boxes. Yep. And I got her a very nice Italian man. Um, and a, he was a stripper. And,
1: uh, <laughs> you got your, wait a minute, you got your mother a strip, a male stripper for her birthday.
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and I, 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 my mother is Italian, so I made sure that she had like an Italian stallion type thing for her birthday. Okay. And um, it, was quite, it was quite the experience. And let's just say that all the neighbors came and they weren't invited. You know, she thoroughly enjoyed it. So it's one of those things that we always talk about when we get together about my mom's face and, and Al, he, he just, he did a very good show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that, Patty. So there, there, there's a couple different surprises going on there. The birthday party was a surprise and then, uh, the entertainment was a surprise as well. If you can pull it off, it is a great thing. I'm not sure I've ever seen it pulled off before like I saw it last night. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Every once in a while, wouldn't it be nice to have the mayor actually stick up for the cops? I mean, really, just just every once in a while, wouldn't it be nice to have that happen? This story is a classic indication of this. The Milwaukee Police Department has a policy with regard to cooperating with immigration, with the customs people ICE. Okay, the policy says... The Milwaukee Police Department does not unilaterally undertake immigration-related investigations and does not routinely inquire into the immigration status of persons encountered during police operations. Okay, so as a matter of general policy, they don't, uh, again, on their own, that's what unilaterally means, undertake immigration investigations and as a general rule when they come into contact with somebody on the street, they don't ask about the person's immigration status. You can argue about whether that's good or bad, but that's what their policy is. Alright. So here's what happens. On Monday you have immigration officials that are out doing an investigation and they're investigating a guy whose name is Jose De La Cruz. De La Cruz Is illegally in this country, has been illegally in the country since 2001. He is also on probation for a gun violation. All right, so he's been through the county court system, he's been through the state court system, presumably. He's on probation for a gun violation. But the operative thing is he's in the country illegally. So immigration is conducting an investigation. Apparently, according to the reports, The immigration people, I don't know if they were watching him or whatever, but about 9.30 Monday morning, the the guy they're looking for is in a parked car in front of his home on South 5th and West Beecher Street with his wife and their three daughters. Okay, so the immigration people who are, again, he's in this country illegally, they find him. They go and they approach the car. They tell him, come on out. Come on out. He refuses to open the door, refuses to come out and cooperate. Apparently, what happens is they they then become aware that there is a gun in the car. The gun is supposedly legally owned by his wife, but it doesn't matter. He's not supposed to be around guns. So immigration, as near as I can figure it out, contacts the guy's probation officer and say, hey, we're, we're here with him. There's a gun in this car. And the probation officer issues a warrant on the spot for violation of, violation of his probation because he's not allowed to be around guns. All right. At this point in time... Milwaukee police apparently start coming onto the scene. Here's what they say happened. I want to read their statement. On Monday, September 23rd, the Milwaukee Police Department responded to a request for assistance from the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement people. Before the police arrived at the scene, ICE agents had conducted a traffic stop of a vehicle. ICE agents advised the police officers that they had a warrant for a subject located in the vehicle. The warrant had been issued because of the, the gun thing, later identified as Jose De La Cruz Espinosa, and that the subject refused to exit the vehicle. De La Cruz Espinosa was on probation for a 2017 Milwaukee County case for illegally concealing a firearm. While officers were on the scene, the Department of Corrections issued a violation of probation warrant for Delacruz. Because of the warrant and not because of his immigration status, MPD assisted in his arrest. ICE agents ultimately took him into custody. So what appears to have happened is, you know, once they find the guy's got the gun, the police officers arrive on the scene. Immigration says, hey, we've, there's this warrant that's been issued for this guy. Can you help us out? And apparently they do. What they did is they, um, I think, set up a, a perimeter um, stopping people from coming and, and I guess to an extent, I guess, assisted customs with making the arrest. But this wasn't a unilateral Milwaukee Police Department investigation. It was initiated by customs. And the police department says, yeah, well, once we got here, yes, we, we helped them effectuate, you know, the arrest pursuant to the warrant. So you have a lot of the usual suspects who now complain about this. Oh, this is terrible. MPD is violating its own policy. And Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett has filed a formal request with the Fire and Police Commission regarding the request from immigration to assist in the detainment of him. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Look, I I understand that Tom Barrett might be running for reelection, and I also understand that, you know, Tom Barrett has an interest in trying to, well, keep certain, you know, vocal groups happy in the city of Milwaukee. But under these circumstances, is there anything in your mind that the Milwaukee police did wrong? I, I mean, this isn't, this isn't the police conducting an immigration investigation on their own. This isn't the police going up to somebody and jacking them up and saying, you know, what's your immigration status? This is the police arriving when immigration is on the scene trying to take somebody who, by the way, is here illegally – Um, into custody and the milwaukee police apparently assisted upon being asked i think it would have been irresponsible for the police to do anything but and candidly when you look at their policy if this is in fact what happened there's nothing to see here all they were doing was assisting immigration once immigration was already on the scene plus Let's not lose sight of the fact that whatever you think about the immigration laws and whether the guy should be deported or what should happen to him, given that he's been in the country since 2001. I mean, immigration was doing their job, and it seems to me that the cops were doing their job. What's to see here? 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Does it sound like the Milwaukee police did anything wrong? I don't see it. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Tony in Wauwatosa. Tony, good afternoon.
0: Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure,
1: okay. Did the cops do anything wrong here?
6: No, I don't think they did anything wrong. I think they followed uh, protocol. You know, they had uh, the probation officer called for a warrant for his arrest. They did exactly what they needed to do. Um, ISIS was there, they had a warrant for his arrest, and then you have to turn him over. I mean, that's that's common sense, you know. That's the way it's supposed to be done. They, they went about it the right way, and I think that's what needs to be known about this is that They didn't overstep their bounds and they did what they were supposed to do you know it's just kind of like that's what you're supposed to do well
1: right i mean and i mean what is the alternative so you have two immigration people who are in the process of of effectuating an arrest they're on the street you've got a guy who's in this country illegally who's on paper for a gun violation who's in a car with a gun what are the police supposed to do look the other way and and not and i don't even think they arrested him i think they kind of assisted and did some crowd control and Stuff like that, but
6: exactly, and you know, and one of the thing about it, there's a gun in the car. Yes, this guy's already had already has a criminal record for guns. Yep, I mean, <laughs> right, exactly, so and it makes common he's,
1: sense. Right, no thanks. I mean, you, you know, okay, and it just just once. Wouldn't you like to see the mayor stand up for the cops and and say, "Okay, well, what? Okay, I understand that maybe you've got issues with immigration. All right, and and maybe you can make an argument that here's this guy and he's been in the country admittedly illegally, but he's been here since two thousand one, and we shouldn't have to worry about deporting him eighteen years later. All right, I, I understand that. That's a beef." But to say, okay, we want an investigation, a formal investigation of the police for cooperating with immigration. Well, okay, they weren't, yes, they cooperated to the extent that they found that immigration was executing a warrant that had been issued by the probation officer. And by the way, they have the authority to take the guy into custody regardless because he's in the country illegally. Instead of simply saying, you know what, I, I applaud, I think the police did absolutely the right thing, you have the mayor pandering again to a certain vocal segment of the community that doesn't believe we should have immigration laws and doesn't believe that, you know, the police have any role at all in cooperating with federal law enforcement and, you know, putting their interests arguably above that of the police. Now, a number of our texters are making another interesting point. Let me just share one. Jeff, how's a guy in the country illegally still allowed to stay here while on probation? Very good question. Uh, David Appleton says, Jeff, why wasn't the guy deported two years ago when he was arrested the first time? Why hasn't he been deported in the last two years while he's been running around on probation? I, outstanding questions all, and I don't have an answer for you. I mean, I, I, you would, it would seem to me, that unless immigration didn't know, I get that. I I don't know, because sometimes we don't share information. You know, that's that's part of this whole sanctuary city thing that you don't share information with um, where you have localities that don't share information with like the federal government when they arrest people who might be in this country illegally. I, I don't know. I don't know if immigration knew about this guy or, or not. But but the bottom line is that is a very, very fair question. If they didn't know about him, my question would be, why not? I mean, what public policy purpose is there to be served if somebody ends up getting convicted of a crime without no and then you don't notify immigration? Now, I again, I, I don't know if they knew about it and just they, they were looking for him, I, although I don't get the sense this guy was hiding. I don't think it was that Um you can argue whether they should have gone out to get him. What you can't argue is whether or not the Milwaukee police officers behaved responsibly. Because like I say, again, their policy just says, you know, we don't unilaterally undertake immigration-related rela- investigations. Well, this wasn't unilaterally undertaking anything. This was arriving on the scenes and essentially providing crowd control and insisting immigration and in doing what they were already doing, Period. Just once, wouldn't you like the mayor say, look, I, I understand this might irritate some people who might not vote for me when I run for re-election in April, if I'm going to run for reelection next April. But, you know, I, I stand by the cops here. I don't see any problem at all with what they did. They were following protocol. Instead, we say, no, we need a formal investigation from the Fire and Police Commission. Huh? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. If you don't want to get yourself in trouble inadvertently, I suggest you pull out your cell phones now. I suggest you go to the section of your cell phones that have the emojis in them, you know, the little things that you can display And get ready to delete at least one, lest you be considered to be a member of a hate group. All right. What symbol am I talking about? Well, all right. It it is a common symbol. And my guess is perhaps you have made it yourself. And I guarantee you, if you watch sports, you have seen it on multiple occasions. The symbol I am talking about is the OK sign. Now, I don't don't try this at home because I don't want you to be labeled as a hater. But if if you are wondering the symbol I'm talking about, it is where you take your thumb and your forefinger and you put them together to form a circle. All right, and then you take your three other fingers, which would be your middle finger, your ring finger, and your little finger, and you extend them. All right, so you have this symbol that has commonly been referred to. It's the OK sign. You know, hey, everything okay? Yep, and you give the sign. You know, it's okay, representing kind of like the way your fingers are positioned. It's kind of like okay. Now, you might have seen this in a different context as well, because if you watch professional sports, college sports, and presumably high school sports as well, you know that this symbol that I am describing is the universal sign that people make after they have made a three-point basket. The three fingers, the middle finger, the ring finger, and the pinky extended, that's the three point shot. And the the circle that you form between your thumb and forefinger, that's kind of like, like a, like a dead eye. You know, you're, you're the sort of the dead eye, you're the marksman. That, that's the history of this. If you look at your cell phone, you will have an emoji. At least I got an emoji on mine, and my cell phone's pretty old, so my guess is you probably have one of your own that has that symbol on it. You know, the OK sign, the three fingers and the circle. You've got an emoji like that. Well, you better be careful never, ever to use that, because if you do, you could be well, just your, your life could be ruined because people will assume, I guess, that you are a member of an anti-Semitic hate group. I bring this up because story in The Washington Post yesterday, the traditional gesture, hand gesture for OK, is now considered to be a sign of hatred by a prominent Jewish civil rights organization that maintains a database of hate symbols. The OK sign, apparently, you know, I guess here's the story. There are apparently out there in the weird netherworld of the Internet, um, there are a small group of white supremacists who are clearly anti-Semitic, etc., and they, this small group of people, have co-opted, I guess, this hand sign and the, the W, that the OK sign. If you look at it hard enough, it can be interpreted as forming the letters WP, which then, in, in the way of thinking goes, it, it stands for white power. How do you get WP out of it? Well, the, the three Fingers that you extend—that's a W—and then if you run the middle finger uh, down, and you've got your forefinger and your thumb, that's a P, an upside-down P. I—I I can't explain it any better than that. That's what the thinking is. And apparently, there are a handful of whack jobs out there, you know, again in the nether world of the internet or whatever, who use this common symbol. And they use it as a way to communicate with each other. Okay. All right. So the story I'm looking at says many of these symbols are associated with the alt-right, and several are popular on anonymous message boards. Oh, okay. I guess... I don't deny that maybe there's some whack jobs and some anti-Semitic haters that are out there who use this common hand gesture that most of us understand to be meaning okay, but again, you you, you see it on basketball courts as well. This thing that has a common meaning for 99% of the world and has a different meaning for a very, very small, whacked-out percentage. I'm not even going to say it's 1%, but you've got some of these haters out there, and that's one of their symbol, symbols. But now you have these groups saying, well, okay, when you see this flashed, you know, this is a sign of hate. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I reject this, not the notion that there might be some whack-job skinheads out there somewhere who who might – This might be one of their secret signs in the ways they communicate. But I reject this notion that common gestures, that by the way, like I say, it's an emoji on my phone. It's probably an emoji on yours. The things that we have been doing for decades and decades, the common symbol for okay, you now can't do because you're going to be labeled as a hater or an anti-Semite or an extremist of some sort of fashion. I mean, I, I guess... It is frustrating to me that we're not concentrating on the real issues that are out there. It is also frustrating to me that we would, we would normalize the, 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 the netherworld, the, the whack jobs that are out there, by now giving more credibility and credence to, uh, again, their efforts to try to co-opt what are common gestures – So let me tee this up. I mean, okay, because some whack-job skinhead anti-Semites might use the okay sign to communicate, does that mean that none of the rest of us can either? And if we do, we've obviously got to be haters. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you put that emoji out there, you know, are you going to be at risk of, Hey, this guy must be a, a hater because he's sending a secret anti-Semitic message. 414-799-1620. That's the Akinite Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. My comment is why do we give why do we give these haters? Why do we give these whack jobs? Why do we give them as much power as we apparently are? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Jeff. I am a certified rescue diver, and we still use the OK sign underwater all the time to make sure people are, well, OK. Does this mean we should stop checking on them? Well, I, I don't know. I mean now this has been classified again as as a symbol of of hate added to the anti defamation league's list of you know uh, hand gestures and symbols and and again I I understand that you might have again a, a small group of lunatics out there that co-opt a certain type of thing why do we give them power. I mean, seriously, why do we give them power? And that's what we do by saying ordinary gestures. I mean, every time now you have an NBA player that makes that 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 symbol, um, is this going to be, well, you know, maybe what they're secretly doing is they're sending out some white power sort of message. Um, Jeff, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire lifetime. People need to get a life. And, Jeff, love your show. And, again, people are sending me the emoji of the the okay. Yeah, I mean, see, this... This this is what frustrates me because I understand that there are that, that there that there there's real Hatred in this world, whether it's homophobia or racism or anti-Semitism. I mean, it's just we when we were in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago, we, we toured the Anne Frank House. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what an incredibly, an incredibly, you know, powerful place. And you just you get the idea of of, you know, World War Two and just so unthinkable that the Nazis decided, especially towards the end of the war, that they were less concerned with trying to win the war than they were with trying to exterminate, you know, You know, hundreds of thousands more than more of that of of Jewish people. I mean, it's just it's incredible that you could have that kind of hatred that was out there. And and whenever you see that, you need to rebel against this. But I, I guess I think we trivialize these things by saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna look at what our ordinary, common, understood hand gestures. And we're going to say, well, if you see somebody showing that, flashing that, you need to look at them and you need to figure out because they might really be trying to send some sort of secret message. No, they're not trying to send a secret message. Um they're just they're just making the okay sign. And I mean I think you know the you know what what are we going to have happen next? If and someone one of our texters makes this point. Okay, I tend to use the emoji, the thumbs up emoji. I don't use the okay one a lot, but I I use the thumbs up a lot. Friend of mine just sends me a text. They were playing golf Sunday morning. Right here's the time, and I just I send them back the text that's got the, the the emoji that's got the thumbs up. Okay, yeah, thumbs up. Okay, so what happens now if you have some white supremacist group that starts to on their message boards or whatever they start to use the thumbs up sign as a Secret way of identifying themselves to each other does that mean we can't have that anymore I mean at some point in time don't we have to say we're not going to normalize the kooks that are out there we're not going to give the haters credit and we're not going to let them take over commonly understood symbols we're not going to give into that we're not going to empower them that's what I hope we see happen sometime soon and as for me well if if you see me make the okay sign It's really not a gesture of anti-Semitism. It's just, hey, that's okay.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Yep, he said he waited for the cars to pass before he returned fire. Oh, isn't that thoughtful? Hey, um... WTMJ listeners and fans, join us Monday, September 30th for a new signature event. They call it WTMJ 2020. There will be newsmakers, politicians, sports owners, and many more discussing the trends and issues that shape the coming year. Come be a member of our live radio audience. It is free. It's an all-day event taking place at the Northern Lights Theater inside the Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino. WTMJ 2020 presented by Annex Wealth Management, Acunet Mortgage and Realty, Hall Imports brought to you by Professional Construction, Inc. More details available at WTMJ.com backslash WTMJ-2020. I'm doing one hour. Mine's, uh, I've got the noon to one hour slot, and I'll be with uh, Tony Drake from Drake and & Associates and my friends Brian Wickard and Dave Spano. Tony's a friend, too. didn't mean to exclude that. Um, we'll be talking about finance, and um, hope it's going to be interesting and fun. We're going to be talking about what's going to happen with your money in 2020 and How you worried you have to be about? Is Social Security going to be there? And what about the Medicare for all? And what does that do to the health insurance industry? And what does it do to the medical industry? We'll be talking about issues like that and trying to get some practical advice about, is it time to buy a house now? What do you do? And if you haven't started saving, you're not saving enough, how important is it to get involved in that? So we hope to make it informative and fun. It's WTMJ 2020, but my segment is noon until 1. Okay. Let's talk about in- impeachment. I, I have to tell you that when it comes to high crimes and misdemeanors, I, I find everything that is going on in Washington now to be extremely fatiguing. And, and there's just no other way around it. Do I think the president behaved properly? In this phone call with the president of the Ukraine. And my answer is no. I I think this is to me, it's kind of typical Donald Trump about just kind of shoot your mouth first and and then think about stuff later on. Do I think he committed a high crime or misdemeanor that justifies impeachment? And the answer is not just no, but it's heck no. I mean, it's just I, I, I look at this. The argument goes like this. Well, he was trying to extort the president of the Ukraine into um, investigating or prosecuting Joe Biden's kid, and he was withholding aid. Well, okay, Biden's kid never got prosecuted and the aid was released. All right. So it. I, putting aside the question of whether or not the comment was appropriate or not, this to me is not the type of thing that you impeach the president over. And especially in the context of you've of, you of know the ongoing investigations. It's Russia, 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 and that didn't lead to anything. And now you've got Ukraine, 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 and, and that's not going to lead to anything either. And I guess given the fact that we have an election coming up in 13 months, can you argue that this was the most statesmanlike thing for the president to do? And the answer is no. Wall Street Journal, a couple of days ago, described this again as 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 President Trump's political narcissism, the, the way he, he sees all issues as far as through the prism of what does this mean for me? Do I think it was appropriate? Do I think he should have said it? No, I don't. But do I think that this is a high crime or misdemeanor, especially the way it played out? My, my answer is is no. And I, I think impeachment is a political matter, not uh, a legal matter. And I just, I, I just don't think the country is at a point now where it wants to, 13 months before the presidential election, remove the president for this. I think it's going to be a giant waste of time. But don't just take it from me. I have in my hands an editor, an article that appears today in the New York Times. And I read the New York Times, so you don't have to. And it's by one of their very liberal columnists, David Brooks. And I just want to share a portion of this, just the bullet points. The headline caught my attention this morning. I was waiting to get the oil changed in my wife's car. And I'm kind of reading through the New York Times. And, and the headline says, yes, he's guilty. Impeachment is a mistake. Now, Brooks writes, Donald Trump committed an impeachable offense on that call with the Ukrainian president. I disagree, but that's how he starts. But that doesn't mean Democrats are right to start an impeachment process. Remember, impeachment is a political process, not a legal one. There's no obligation to prosecute. Congress is supposed to do what is in the best interest of the country. And this process could be very bad for America. Here's a couple of the points that the liberal columnist Brooks makes. He says, first of all, this will probably achieve nothing. To remove Trump from office, at least 20 Republican senators would have to vote to convict him. If you think that will happen because of this incident, you haven't been paying attention. Okay, usually when a leader takes a big risk, it's because there's a big upside. But Nancy Pelosi is taking a giant risk, and there is little upside. At the end of this process, Trump will probably be acquitted by the Senate. He will declare himself vindicated and victorious in his battle against the swamp. An ugly backlash could ensue in both parties. By the way, I I agree. You can go through this falderall in the House. He's not going to be convicted in the Senate. He's not going to be removed from office. All right, another point he makes. This is not what the country wants to talk about. Pelosi said she would not proceed with impeachment unless there was a bipartisan groundswell of support. There is no bipartisan groundswell, and yet she's proceeding. According to a Quinnipiac University poll, only 37 percent of Americans support impeachment. The presidential candidates all report the same phenomena. Voters are asking them about health care and jobs and climate change, not, um, Impeachment. I was in Waco, Nantucket, and Kansas City. I had conversations or encounters with hundreds of voters. Only one even mentioned impeachment, a fellow journalist. There's a big difference between the conversation Twitter wants to have and the conversation the broader populace wants to have. I agree with that completely. I mean, look, I, I don't know about you, but we're going to pick a president in 13 months and people are going to decide yay or nay on Donald Trump. But, you know, I, I care. I care about health care and I care about taxes and I care about national security. Um, OK, whether or not he was appropriate in a call last July. Sorry, that that's not, I think, on most people's radar screen. Then he goes on. Democrats are playing Trump's game. Trump has no policy agenda. He's incompetent in improving the lives of American citizens. It's the liberal columnist, even his own voters. But he's good at one thing waging reality TV personality wars against coastal elites. So now, over the next few months, he gets to have a personality war against Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler. Okay. Um, next point. The process will increase public cynicism. Um, yeah, I think that's true. This could enable, tr- embed Trumpism within the GOP. Um, yes, et cetera, et cetera. He goes on and on and on. But this is a liberal saying, look, this this impeachment thing, it's not going to work out. He's not going to be removed. There's a potential for a backlash here. Nobody really cares about this outside, again, of the Twitterverse. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I don't agree with all the rationale, but I agree with the basic point. I don't think we're at the point of impeachment. It's not going to happen. I think this is all a sideshow to what the real issues of the day are, and it's certainly a sideshow to the sideshow of the upcoming, you know, presidential campaign. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, full speed ahead on impeachment. We're time to put on the brakes. And I don't know that this is really an issue that breaks down along Republican and Democrat lines. I think there's a lot of Democrats out there, maybe even a lot of Democrats that fully and totally hate Donald Trump, who might realize you know, impeachment's not the best way to go. If nothing else, it is a distraction from the Democrat campaign to choose somebody to run against him. Because all the air is coming out of all those campaigns if you focus on impeachment. All right, should we remove the President of the United States? Will he be removed? Is this an exercise in futility? Should we engage in it? My answer would be he's not going to be removed. Why don't we just move on? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 414-799-1620. Chris text Jeff. I'm not for either side. But the constant searching for the next shiny object with Trump is so exhausting. I believe if the Democrats pursue impeachment, it will really guarantee reelection. The Democrats in the press are having the opposite impact that they are looking for. I'm tired of it. I can only imagine most of the nation feels the same. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Jeff, as much as I cannot stand Donald Trump, and I would really love to see him out of office, um, he's, uh, let's see, he is a pig. Um, he's disgusting. He's woefully unqualified. I agree, however. Do not waste time on impeachment proceedings. Let's express our distaste with our vote next uh, November. 414-799-1620. That's the at Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ.
6: Yeah, I kind of disagree with you a little bit there, Jeff, because I'll tell you why. You know, uh, he took the oath of office just like every single senator and every single congressman that they will support the Constitution of the United States and all its laws. Now, this isn't his first transgression about this sort of thing, because he even publicly, right in front of the whole world, on TV, when he was asked, what if some other country would offer you information about an opponent? Would you take it? He says, yeah, yeah but, but
1: Freddie, they're, they're not impeaching him for that. What, what law do you think he violated? What law? Yeah.
6: The law that was brought up by the Congress about uh, interacting with foreign mm. uh, governments, yeah. For personal gain.
1: OK, well, what's the what's the personal? Ga- now, let let's let, let's kind of play this out. Um, all right. So he, he says he says in his he, he says in the thing, hey, you know, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, corruption in the Ukraine. And a lot of people are worried about this thing with Biden's kid. You should really have a prosecutor look into that. OK, right. so that that's that that's what he says. You think that's personal gain by by saying okay. you should look into it?
6: Yes, because he's he's afraid that the Democrats would put Joe Biden to run against him, okay. because I'm almost sure Joe Biden
1: would win. OK, so now, apparently, as near as I can tell, they didn't look into it. They, they, they didn't do anything. And he didn't withhold aid. I mean, Ukraine ultimately gets the aid. And as near as I can tell, there's probably no investigation. So nothing happened as a result of this conversation. You still think that that's a basis to remove somebody from office? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay, all right. No, thank you. Okay, I, I just, I, I mean, look, you know, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, committed perjury. He did commit a defined crime, and I, I think a lot of Republicans back then, if they were honest, would tell you that one of the biggest mistakes they made was overreaching and trying to remove him from office. And Bill Clinton perjured himself. All right, That, that was a defined crime, and it, it, it worked, it hurt a lot of Republicans, because I think people perceived it as being overreaching. I, I think this is the same sort of thing. I think if you're going to remove a president from office, you have to be able to explain you know, clearly Okay, what is the corruption? Yeah, look, uh, do, do I think Trump behaved appropriately during this particular conversation? No, I, I, I'm reading the transcript of it. And I admit, I'm thinking, okay, what, why are you even bringing up the Joe Biden thing? Why, why even put that in there? If you only if you simply say, look, we've got concerns about corruption, you know, I, I think you, you really need to get a handle on the on this etc etc it would be fine you know he can't help himself so he adds this other thing but as near as i can tell they didn't do anything with regard to biden and it's not like he said okay i'm not i'm withholding the aid because you're you're not doing what i want you to do ukraine got the aid ultimately he had put a hold on it for a little while but they ended up getting the aid so you know it nothing nothing happened as a result of this and i guess Again, I'm not going to argue with you about whether this is an appropriate thing or not. You know, he would have been much better off if he just steered away from this. Because, again, by having this conversation, you open all these doors. But nothing happened as a result of it. And I guess I I think if you're going to remove somebody from office – a president, a senator, a judge, or whatever. You better be able to point specifically to what the crime it is that they commit. And I understand the language of impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors, but you better be able to explain Exactly what it was that the person did and what the effects it had. And I, I guess I stand by this. I just don't think the majority of American people, I, I don't think they believe that this is something. Maybe they don't like Donald Trump, but they don't think this is something that you remove a president for. If you want to remove him, if you want to remove him, fine. Do that next November. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Todd in Jackson. Todd, you're on WTMJ.
6: Hello, Jeff. Uh, I would agree that the, they are really wasting their time trying to get him out of office because the Senate will never, will never uh, boot him out of office. Not so over I this. Personally... Not
1: over this. Nope. You're right. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't. Okay, we lost him. I didn't cut him off. No, the Senate's not going to boot him out of office over over this. And I, I think again, I believe what you see playing out is it's kind of it's. You know, we saw it in Wisconsin with the Walker fatigue thing. I, I think you see it, you know, nationwide with the Trump fatigue thing. I think that there's a lot of people of good faith who who don't like him, who don't intend to vote for him. But it's like, all right, so he's on this phone call, and you know, sh- should he have brought up Joe Biden? No, he shouldn't have. I I I I get it. He he shouldn't have done it. But we have. We have elected officials all the time, presidents and senators and congressmen and judges who probably, you know, say the wrong thing or say an inappropriate thing. And it doesn't mean that that's a basis for removing them from office. If you want to remove Donald Trump from office, go with God. You know, you're going to have a chance to do that 13 months from now. But interestingly, to the point that the columnist in the Times making, you know, it's going to achieve nothing. Um, The country isn't there as a general rule on this particular issue, unlike Say during the Watergate thing, where ultimately, you know, pretty much everybody turned on Richard Nixon because it was apparent that he had in fact committed a clear-cut crime of obstructing justice. If, if this is all you got, it, it's, it's not an obstruction of justice. At worst, it is an inartful conversation that you know he should have certainly known better for, but again, I just don't see it as impeachable. Scott and Racine, Scott, you're on WTMJ.
5: um um I thank for taking my phone call. Sure. What I feel, what I feel about this topic is that is that the House of Representatives, whatever, is the people's house, all right? And for all the misconduct and ill willings that Donald Trump has had while he's been been president, somebody in the legislative branch, whatever, needs needs to stand up to him, whatever, and send and send him a notice, all right? I also feel that on the um, obstruction of justice error, uh, uh, allegation, when it comes to this specific incident, that the whole moving up or saving the tape of the conversation in the higher um, classified um, um, protective system,
4: mm-hmm.
5: what it basically was was the obstruction, and whoever ordered and whoever ordered that, if that came from from Trump or one of his associates, that right there is obstruction because that right there basically is the administration saying whatever that what this guy is doing is wrong and what he's saying is wrong. And I also think that when it comes to the conversation that, that he had on the phone, if he has not mentioned Biden's name, that conversation is fine. But if, yes. he, if he mentioned Biden in the word favor, then he was, he was trying to get political gain through using whatever, a foreign power, whatever to, to to get his political advantage.
1: If he had, I'm just curious, if he had mentioned a name other than Biden, if he would have said, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in Washington, D.C. about this deal that Jeff Wagner had, um, and I wasn't a political foe. If he had mentioned my name or your name or anybody's name other than Lena Biden or an Elizabeth Warren or something like that, do you think that would have been OK? I, I
5: don't think that would have been OK because I think that's outside of the. The norms of how of what a president is supposed to do when they want a, a U.S. citizen investigated, as it was described yesterday, if a president wants a U.S. citizen investigated, they got to go to the White House Counsel, mm-hmm. White House Counsel, whatever, then have to go to the associate yep. or the deputy, the deputy um, agent, who then would contact the appropriate U.S. attorney.
1: Do you think that's an impeachable offense if it's outside of protocol? i
5: I feel that I, I feel that if he's trying to do it to leverage. Some personal advantage for himself, which is not in the nation's best, which is not in the best interest of the United States of America. And this is a repeated, this is a repeated um, tactic that he's doing. Then I feel that, then I feel that is impeachable.
1: Yeah, I guess the question that I have. Thanks for calling. Is, is at the end of the day, how do you prove that? Um, do I wish President Trump was more? I'm going to use the word presidential. Was more circumspect and and thought about the things he said. Yeah, yeah, I did do and I and look, and I, I I I agree, I agree that I think it's inappropriate to bring up Biden's name and things like that. But again, I, I also look at the results. Ukraine got the money. Um, Biden's kid, and Biden didn't get investigated, as near as I, I can tell. um Certainly, weren't prosecuted. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you, you got to prosecute them, and you know, I, I i want you to do that, or you're not going to get the dough. The, the more I look at this, again, I I understand there's people who don't like President Trump, and I certainly understand why people could look at this and say, you know, what was he thinking? Believe me, I, I get all that. I just don't think, I don't think the American public believes that this is an impeachable offense. You need the public with you. And I'm not just talking about the people that don't like Trump. I mean, you need a vast majority of the people. I don't think people are there on this. I don't think they're going to be there on this. I think you risk making Donald Trump a martyr. And I I think, you know, it's a dangerous sort of game because, you know, you, you play in, in some respects, to President Trump's hands, especially given the reality that he's not going to be removed from office because of the numbers in the Senate. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Producer grew, you are a baseball fan as I am. Joe Madden, who is the manager of the Cubs, who, by the way, have lost nine games in a row, um, including they got swept in Pittsburgh. Okay, you know, if you look up the definition of the term hot mess in the dictionary, you're going to see the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, Pittsburgh Pirates had lost, what, it it seemed like 15, it wasn't quite that many, but they, 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 they stunk. The Cubs move into Pittsburgh, and they get swept by Pittsburgh. So, as we've been reviewing... The Cubs go to St. Louis to play a three-game series. The Brewers are a game behind St. Louis, which means if the Brewers sweep Colorado, and I'm not predicting they will, but if they sweep Colorado, the Cubs have to win one of those three games, one of those three games, in order to force a, a playoff on Monday, a game 163, just like we had last year, to determine who the division champion is. That's an important deal because if you win the central division, You don't have to play a one-game winner-take-all play-in game on Tuesday. So it's a big deal. Also, not getting too far ahead of yourselves, but um, the team that wins the division – would play the Atlanta Braves. The team that wins that one game play-in, the wild-card game, would play the Dodgers. And arguably, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now, or at least the best team in the National League. you got to play them at some point in time. But you'd rather play them like they did last year in an effort to get to the World Series. So it's a big deal. So Joe Madden, who is probably – his contract is up – He, you know, won a World Series with the Cubs, but uh I think he's kinda worn out his welcome there. They think he's gonna be gone. They've got three games left. And he is saying Well, I know people in Milwaukee are going to be, and he's using language that I cannot use on the radio. I know people are going to be unhappy. That's not what he said, but I'm not going to play a lot of my starters, and and some of the Cubs starters have been injured and things like that. I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to put a good team out there, but you know, I don't care what the people in Milwaukee think. In other words, he's saying he's going to put a bunch of spuds out there. All right, now, Gru, you upset with this Madden's decision?
2: I mean, it's his decision. I don't even know if he's going to be the manager of the Cubs anymore. So whatever he wants to do.
1: Well, right. I, I See, I guess I feel that way, too. I mean, it's OK. The Cubs have lost nine games in a row. It's not like their regulars are playing very well. I mean, you know, they've got a bunch of these guys that are hurt. Now, it's clear that they're probably going to put out a triple A team. But my guess is that the triple A guys are going to compete. They're going to try their best to, to win. So, I mean, I, you know, when you've lost nine in a row, and I would presume that you'd like to avoid... Losing twelve in a row to finish the season. I mean, whoever you put out there, is playing for a contract for next year. So, all, all right, if you're not playing your your injured stars who haven't been winning anyways, eh, just put out the young guys and see if they can win a game. Let's go Cubbies. Let's go Cubs. Right, go Cubs. Go. absolutely absolutely, that's how we started the show. And you know, go Brewers. Brewers got to take care of business as well. This the story about this special election. Just gets weirder and weirder, and I, I've been. Talking, Robin Voss, who is the Speaker of the Assembly, has sent a note to the governor. Um, we're talking about the special election that they're going to have to fill the congressional seat vacated when Sean Duffy. Uh, resigned earlier this week. Um, Sean Duffy represents the 7th Congressional District, which geographically is probably the biggest district in Wisconsin. It's northwest Wisconsin, 18 different counties. Sean Duffy steps down, which means there has to be a special election to fill the remainder of his term. And so whoever wins the special election, well, they're... um. You know, they're, they're going to be up for re-election next year anyway. So it's just going to be for a matter of, of months. And right now what happens is constituent services are still taken care of. I mean, you, you've still got Duffy's office that's there. So if people have questions and you need something, there, there's still a staff there that, that handles these things. It's just that, that he's he has, has left. So you have to have a special election. There's a couple different options. The one option that I think most reasonable people think that the governor should have taken was to schedule a special election to coincide with the regular elections that we are having next February and next April. There is a primary election scheduled for mid-February, which is all the nonpartisan offices Okay, so there's going to be an election. The clerk's offices are going to have to do that. And then there's a general election that's scheduled, I think it's April 7th, I think off the top of my head is is the date that it is. But it's early April. There's going to be a statewide election for the state Supreme Court. So everybody's going to vote. Mayors, judges, all those things are going to be up. And and you're pretty much guaranteed bigger turnout because the presidential primary That date coincides with the date of the April general election. So assuming that the Democrat race isn't decided by then, you're going to have a lot of Democrats that are going to turn out to vote. You're also, I don't know if we're going to have a Republican primary, but you're going to have that. But these are regularly scheduled election dates. The governor could have simply said, all right, I'm going to, you know, we're going to schedule the special election primary if we need it in February. We're going to make it coincide with the April date, that's fine, whoever gets elected will serve for X number of months, serve the rest of the term, and then you'll have to run for re-election in November. That would have been the smart, efficient, and effective thing to do. The governor, I don't know if he's chosen the absolute worst way to do it, but it could be almost the worst way. What he's decided to do is not not delay till February, so you could do this all the same time. And instead, he has decided that he wants to spend tens of thousands of taxpayer dollars, maybe more, by scheduling a primary election on December 30th, which is a Monday. Now, I'm not saying there's never been elections on a Monday in the history of the state, but I don't remember one. Normally, it's Tuesday. So he's doing it December 30th. He's doing it the week between Christmas and New Year's when... A lot of people, whatever you're thinking of, you're not necessarily thinking of a a special election. He's doing it on a Monday. He's doing it on the last day of Hanukkah. Um, If you were trying to suppress the vote... You, you could not do a better job of it than picking up on Monday. And Robin Voss has sent a note saying, hey, this is the last day of Hanukkah. You know, it, it's like, why not, why not, why don't we just have this on Christmas Day, for goodness sakes, if you want to do that. So he's saying, you know, you should move it. And then the general election would be at the end of January. So, it, yes, you would have somebody elected, and it's going to be a Republican. This is a heavy Republican-leaning district. I mean, that—that's just the reality. So yes, you'd have somebody elected 60 days sooner. But at the same time, you're having a huge expense. And let's talk about one other thing. And this is getting lost in in the um, in some of the hoopla here. What it goes on in the state of Wisconsin, and matter of fact, what goes on across the country in clerks of courts offices around the end of the year people pay their property taxes. This is one of the very, very busiest times, first of all, getting the property tax bills out, and then, you know, a lot of people want to pay their property taxes before the end of the year, so they get credit for it. So you have these clerk's offices, and keep in mind, especially in some of these counties that we're talking about, you're, you're talking about small offices, okay, they're, they're already going to be swamped with trying to get, again, property tax bills out, and then process the property tax bill payments as they come in on top of that now tony evers is saying we're going to have the day before the end of the year monday december 30th we're going to have also an election that you are going to have to deal with Hmm. um it just the whole thing you would say it makes no sense why is he doing this well the, the the why at least this is my theory is pretty clear. Like I say, this is a heavily Republican district. Whoever runs as a Republican is going to win. I don't know what percentage of the vote they're going to get, but they're, they're going to win. This is not – it's a solid Republican district. If he scheduled the primary and then the general election for April, that would mean there would probably be a larger Republican-leaning turnout. That's the same day the state Supreme Court race is up. And I think what's going on here is Evers is trying to do whatever he can to try to suppress the conservative vote in that Supreme Court race. And if you had a contested congressional election, it would make Republicans more likely to turn out to vote, which would make them more likely to vote for the conservative Supreme Court candidate. By doing what he's doing, setting the election schedule for what it is, it not only costs a whole bunch of money, but I think it has the potential for maybe saying Republicans, you know, states saying, "Okay, well, there's not a partisan race here. There's not going to be a Republican primary. We really don't have that much to turn out for other than the Supreme Court race. I I think this is a political calculation, but it's being done at the expense of a lot of money to the taxpayers, an incredible inconvenience to, again, the clerk of courts around the state. The thing that makes the most sense to do here is really simple. Have the primary in February, along with the other primary dates in the nonpartisan races. Have the general election in April. The constituents in the 7th Congressional District will continue to be well served. That extra two months isn't going to make any difference at all. Don't expect the governor to do it because, well, I mean, he's got some political issues, and this is all about politics. It's not about taxpayer responsibility or good public policy. This is Jeff Wagner.